For so many modern-driven women, life is about being more than one thing. We're multidimensional, and so are our conversations. We carry multiple identities. We can be both mother and artist, both attorney and entrepreneur, both clinician and CEO, both humble and proud. Life for women like us is about both, about all of the above. It's about the and. Our stories are the stories of so many of you. We wanted the freedom and flexibility to live life on our own terms, and we felt the pull to be more present with our families. But we still felt drawn to contribute, to build, and to create. And we wanted to establish financial security for ourselves and our children. For us, that looked like founding software companies, but for you, that may look different. Our mission is to help other smart, conscious women build and grow businesses on the internet. Starting up online can be overwhelming and isolating, but it doesn't need to be. Join us for honest conversations about what it really means to grow an online business that aligns with your values and adds something meaningful to the world. I'm Sandy Connery. And I'm Jenny Barcelos. And you're listening to the And She Spoke podcast. In our business, we're big fans of financial literacy and accountability. Knowing your numbers is an essential aspect of building a successful business and inherent responsibility for any entrepreneur. We also believe that what you focus on grows. So pay attention to your money. How do we stay up to speed on our numbers? We use Bench for our bookkeeping. It's simple, elegant, and saves us so many hours that would otherwise be spent neck deep in receipts on the other side of a spreadsheet. Each month, our transactions are automatically imported into Bench and we get on-demand financial reports. We even enjoy opening up our profit and loss statement to review each month. And when tax time comes around, we are up to date and ready to go. And this is what financial empowerment feels like. Head on over to anshe.co slash bench to save 20% off your Bench accounting plan for the first six months. Welcome to the And She Spoke podcast. One of the topics that we are committed to with the new face of our podcast are the stories of women founders. We want to showcase what women are creating, but not just their businesses. We want to learn about their mind, their decisions, their leadership, their struggles, their frustration, the times of ease, and everything in between. So first up is Marlo Ellis. Marlo is the founder and CEO of The Uncommon Woman. Marlo started her business with a boutique gym, and through deep listening and connection with her clients, she realized that so many of them were suffering in silence and in shame. She witnessed their darkness and feelings of isolation. She saw that women struggled with a history of violence, childhood trauma, death, divorce, single parenting, and dealing with aging parents. You will hear how she has adapted her business to the needs of these women. The Uncommon Woman is her platform that provides women the sacred opportunity to share their stories of strength that emerged from their struggles so they can help others as they help themselves in their own healing journey. Let's listen now to this episode with the amazing Marlo Ellis. Well, welcome to the Angie Spoke podcast. We're so excited to have you, Marlo. Thank you so much, ladies. I'm so excited to be here. This is exciting because right before we started, Sandy, you and Marla were bantering about both being in Calgary, which was a surprise. I thought she was kidding. Nobody's from Calgary. So when she said that, I was like, are you trying to play with me? Like, what's happening? That's so cool. Yeah, it's amazing. And I love that you ladies are in two different countries collaborating. It's just the power of technology, right? 
So beautiful. Yeah, it is. And you were just saying that you're going to be moving back to Thunder Bay and you're like, I can go anywhere. I know I can do anything. People keep using the word move and I really don't feel like that's what it is. Actually, I feel like it's more of just, I'm just going to hop over to Thunder Bay for a while and then I get to hop, you know, I plan on going to Italy for some time. So I feel like the freedom of what what I'm doing has given me the opportunity to experience more. And that hasn't always been the case for me. So Yeah. So we want to hear about that. Let's hear your story. How did you get into the online world? What were you doing before? I just did an Instagram post about this yesterday. It's funny how, you know, how top themes come and go in your conversations. So in 2001, I got my teaching degree and I was a high school teacher for 10 years. And the long story short is that at the end of 10 years, I knew that I didn't want to teach anymore but I loved teaching and I wanted to leave while I still loved it, as opposed to being the teacher who was unhappy and really resentful. And I must say that I just, I have to plug teachers. You know, there's a lot going on in Canada right now with teachers mm-hmm. and the work that they're doing. And it's, it's a really important job, but it also requires a lot of responsibility, right? It's kind of like you have two families and I just didn't want to carry that responsibility anymore. So in 2010, I retired from teaching and in 2011, I went full-time into fitness, which was a really big part of why I wanted to retire. I believed that there was a market that was missing and I was turning 40 and everybody talks about the shift in your body when you're 40. And I didn't actually realize it was truth until I woke up one day and it was like, I was 39 and then I was 40 and I looked at my body and the way I felt in my body and it just, I felt like a different person and I wanted to support women who were my age, who really wanted to feel good and look good and feel strong and feel happy in the skin that they were in. And you have to remember too, this was, you know, 10 years ago. And there's been such a surge in fitness for women since then. But even 10 years ago, there was still a belief that once you hit 40, you're kind of like, you know, washed up. And I was single, never been married, no kids. And I was like, what are you talking about? So I started working with women and I opened my own little fitness business. So I literally stopped working in a brick and mortar. And that was my goal in 2010. And so I started doing fitness camps and parks and all kinds of stuff. And then I met a man and I really wanted to transition into a space because in Canada, in the winter, it's really hard to run fitness camps outside. In Calgary. And so I knew that I needed a home base for my fitness business and I met a man and that's where my story actually began. So we fell in love. He owned a studio and he was looking for a partner to share his studio with. So I went in for an interview and fell in love (laughs) basically is what happened. And so our plan was to create this incredible fitness business together. I was going to focus on the women. He was going to focus on the men and we were going to just take over the city and have a really incredible career. And he was already really, you know, quite well known in the city and I was just starting up. And so it was the perfect opportunity. And there wasn't anything for women in my city at that time. So there literally was no real just fitness programs just for women, midlife women, right? So I had hit a target market that was literally craving attention and craving to feel better. So things went really well for a few months and then the relationship went south and became abusive. And I didn't know where to go from there. And so I stayed for 18 months in total and I left when my life was 
threatened. Mm. And what I had to do was decide whether I was going to go work for somebody else in like a big box gym and get paid 15 bucks an hour or start my own business. So it's a thousand dollars and a wing and a prayer. I literally built my own brick and mortar gym. And, you know, people often talk about the fact that you have to have all your ducks in a row and that you have to have 20 grand in the bank. And I had a thousand dollars. I bought all my weights off Kijiji and I found a landlord who would rent me my space free for the first month, 25% of my rent for the second. And four months later, I was paying him full rent and I had a full house clientele and I could afford my bills. So for those of you out there who think you have to wait for it to be perfect, you don't. Anyway, and so I had my fitness business for two and a half, almost three years. And what happened was I was back in brick and mortar, right? And I recognized that it was really destroying me as far as energy. I had lots going on personally that I hadn't had an opportunity to heal from. And I knew that I could only reach a limited amount of women if I had a brick and mortar gym. But then what happened was the more conversations that I had with women who were coming to my gym who were midlife, I recognized that the pain that women were feeling had nothing to do with their bodies. It had everything to do with their lives, that they were unhappy in their lives. And so it was reflected in their health and wellness. Can you give us examples of what were they telling you? So women would come in and say to me, for example, quote unquote, I'm fat, right? I've never been this fat. I've never been this overweight. This is their language. And I would say, why are you overweight? Like what's going on? Well, I'm just, I can't stop eating. Well, why can't you stop eating? And what was happening was I was digging down to the deeper issue. And often what was going on is they had a crisis. Their, their marriage had broken up, which is really common in 40s, right? Somebody had died. They had had a, an illness. What happened was they felt like they had lost control. And so they were struggling with eating. Or maybe they weren't sleeping. Or they weren't moving. Like not everybody who came in was overweight. But this is just one of the stories. And so I started recognizing that what all of these women had in common was pain. And so two and a half years later, I thought, I'm here because I have my own pain story. And these women are coming to me because I'm creating a safe community for women who have pain stories, but I'm limiting myself to who I can reach by owning a brick and mortar. And if I take this online, it's infinite. And that's literally the journey to the uncommon woman and the work I do today. And so like, I want to know about the decision to, to go from brick and mortar to online. Was it something that you thought about over and over and agonized and all the details or did you know instantly and start? So kind of yes and no. So when I recognized that I was there for a different reason than what I thought I was there for, I started agonizing because I had built this beautiful like really, so my first year of business in my first gym, I rented an old character home and I was full to capacity. And so a year later to the date, I had built from the ground up basically a brand new fitness facility. And a year and a half later, I closed it. So you want to talk about agony. I was agonizing because I felt like I had somehow not only put all my time and energy into something, but I felt kind of out of alignment with my clients. Like I'd created this big, beautiful place and I was about to close it. So I agonized about the transition, but I knew it was right. And it came to me really quickly and I had to do something about it really quickly. So 
I would say February, March of 2015 is when I had an awakening that the women that I was working with in my gym all had this one thing in common. And it was that they all had painful stories or the majority. I shouldn't say all, not every single one. That's not fair to say, but the truth is we all have painful stories. So I could probably say all, but not all of them shared them with me. And by, I closed my gym in May with the support of a coach. How do you decide what to do? Like to recognize that most of the women they dealt with have painful stories is one thing, but then what do you do with them? Like, how are you going to help them? Like, how did you decide what to do or what was your next step? Like, how did you think that through? So what I did was I started having different conversations with them. So that's why my gym was different. And that's why when I closed it, there was a real backlash actually, because I had created a community of women who could talk really openly and vulnerably about what was going on in their lives. And so many of the women who became part of my gym would say to me, this is my second home. And when somebody says that to you about your gym, that says a lot about what's going on in the community. And so I started having different conversations with them. And what I started saying was, your health and wellness is a product of what's going on in your soul. And so we actually need to not just work on your body, but we need to like dig real deep. So I started running fitness camps and things like that, that had like a soulful side to them where we would sit in circle and talk about what was going on in our lives and why, what were the patterns and cycles that were showing up in our lives that got us to the place that we were in our eating, in our mindset, everything. It's holistic, right? And I was in such a learning curve at the time. I had honestly, ladies, I had no idea what was hitting me because I had no experience in the online world. None, except for, this was kind of like when Facebook was first hot. So Mm -hmm. what I did was I actually built my gym on Facebook. I just took over Facebook. And so this would have been nine years ago. Nobody was doing that with their businesses. And I just, so my business exploded online. And what I started recognizing was if I can do this, this online, then what if I was to create a community for women that had no walls where they could come into safe space So transfer what I'm doing in my gym in brick and mortar over to a safe space, which became a Facebook group, which became a community and give women an opportunity to work their souls out and work their issues out and talk their things through. And that's kind of how the transition happened. But it was really, the transition itself was really quick from the outside looking in. But I think it had been started when I met him in 2011. I really believe that this whole movement that I've created started then. And there was a divine plan that I had no clue. (laughs) And it cost me a lot of money and a lot of sleep because I opened a a few gyms and, you know, it's all worth it. Do you want to maybe tell our listeners what your business is now? Like who do you help and what do you do? I mean, it's pretty clear who you help, but. Well, I actually have two legs to my business now. So for the first, so that was 2015. I spent about six months actually just coming down from my life. So I would say that I closed my gym and I was in a little bit of a dark place because it was painful to close it, but I knew it's what I wanted to do. So I was really conflicted, right? So January of 2016 is when I really started kind of like ramping things up. And I originally started working with women who were exactly like me, which is where the Uncommon Woman came from. And in 2018, so I did some coaching and I was trying to kind of feel my way through. 2018, I actually turned the uncommon woman into a business. So originally it was just kind of like a passion project and I was coaching on the side, running coaching programs, but I put everything under the umbrella of the 
Uncommon Woman 2018. And I started creating live events and spaces where women could share their stories of strength and struggle. And I started coaching women on sharing their story from stage and things like that. So I would say for the last two years, I've really been focusing in on the women who are women who have stories of strength and struggle and who want to use those stories like I did to support and lift others as they heal themselves. That's literally, I just created what I needed in my own life. However, what I'm recognizing now is that once women move through that process, what often happens is what happened to me, which is they want to take on a leadership role and they want to start something and they want to create something and they need support in that end of it. And so now the second leg of my work that I've actually really just launched officially in 2020 is executive leadership coaching, which is working with the women who want to create a movement or create an organization or create a business around their passion and around the thing that really lights them up and helping them navigate that process. Because as you know, I'm sure when you build your own business, a lot of times other things get put on the bottom shelf, like family, like health and wellness, like joy, like, right. I was listening to your podcast this morning about boundaries. And I was like, like boundaries. <laughs> when we start building a business that's online, where are the boundaries? Are there boundaries? Right. And, and this is the big question is, is it that our life and our life work are becoming one now? Is that good? Or is it actually starting to become a problem? Right. Mm -hmm. I would say that I think as a culture, we don't have an answer to that because it's such a new problem, right? And so we're navigating this as beginners. Everyone is a beginner and figuring out the answer to that Absolutely. question. Absolutely. Like yeah. one of you had brought up Instagram stories and I was like, I'm still not bought into Instagram stories. Like here's my breakfast, lunch, dinner, dogs, family. That's the only thing that we have left, you know, when you have an online business and because of the work I do. I have to expose a lot of my life mm -hmm. to be vulnerable. How do you navigate that? Tell us, your, do you have a strategy, what you do share, what you don't share? Are there off times and on times? Yeah. You know, it's funny. I have a girlfriend who's really great at Instagram stories. And I said to her the other night, I think I'm a night poster. I said, I think I've created this thing <laughs> where I only post at night. Like I only, it's really weird, but I just don't let anybody really see my day because it's mine. But what I will do is at night, I'll go in and I'll do an Instagram story about the work that I did that day or a conversation that I had. But I don't have a strategy specifically that I have sat down and written out, but I think that my strategy is share enough and keep a whole lot personal stuff to yourself because there needs to be a pocket of your life that is not getting the eyeballs and the opinions of everybody else. I feel strongly about that. And I think it's part of the reason why in 2011, I was in a relationship I had a hard time getting out of because I was so worried about the opinions of others. Mm -hmm. I was so worried about what other people were going to say and the perception and everything. And I just feel like, you know, I'm very open with my clients actually and with my tribe about my life. I often use my own life experiences as examples of things, but I also believe that there needs to be part of me that's sacred, you know? And not everybody needs to know everything that's going on with my family and my pets and what I eat. I just, that's me, right? That's my boundary because I'd be on my phone 24 seven. I think it's also for me, I feel like it's generational. And I was a really early adopter of Facebook. I started using Facebook, I think in 2005. 
And it had just, I was at Yale and it had been invented at Harvard just months before. And then it made its way <laughs> up to me and my friends. And I remember like loving it and thinking how exciting it was because in those schools, we had actual Facebooks that you would get at the beginning of each year with your class, right? And so it was this big deal to get the Facebook and like, who was this person and where did they go to undergrad or where did they go to boarding school? And it was like this whole, I felt like popularity contest in a way. And what can you learn about this person by studying them in the Facebook? And then Facebook became an online entity. And to me, it was like very clearly about school and people from school for years and years. And then it's now obviously become, you know, the way we communicate and share information largely across the globe. And I think that we really have to protect ourselves from that creeping change that's happening in technology where all of a sudden, like every single element of our lives is interactive with the internet, right? Like with having, you know, Alexa in every room. And I don't even want to say her name because she's going to turn on right now and S-I-R-I and that will definitely turn on on my computer right now. And just this idea that I don't have to the default is online. And now we have to actually set up boundaries and protect ourselves from anything that's not like because it's just actually everywhere and all around us all the time. So I think that that's such an important thing that you're starting to say, okay, my day is mine. And maybe I'll go on at night, but I'm going to protect this element of my life every day. You know, everybody's different. And I see how social media has really helped some people blow up their business. And in some ways, it's helped the uncommon woman blow up its business. But for example, my executive leadership coaching, that's not necessarily where my people are. They're on LinkedIn and they are in rooms. And I feel really comfortable in those spaces, you know? And sometimes I just think to myself, why am I trying to do something that's just not bringing me a ton of joy, you know? And everybody's wired different. And I come from a, a background that's all about face-to-face, heart-to-heart connection. And I'm really struggling to spend more time behind a screen. And there actually came a time in my business about a year and a half ago where I was just like, I can't do this anymore. Like mm-hmm. truly, I can't do this anymore. It's, you know, and I had to reset. This podcast is brought to you by the Namastream software platform. Namastream is an easy-to-use platform that helps you build and sell your own courses, memberships, and live-streamed programs. Go from idea to open for business in just minutes. Unlike other startups, Namastream was created by women for women. If you're looking for a simple, streamlined way to build and grow an online business, you can learn more at namastream.com. So obviously you create these spaces where you bring women together in person. And I'd like you to share a little bit about what is the difference you see between what happens in those live events where you have women share on stage versus what happens in your online community. Right. And it's funny that you said that because I was literally where I was going. It's why I decided to create the Uncommon Woman Live events in 2018 in October, because I had all of these women. So the Uncommon Women now probably has like 20,000 people across all the platforms, you know, but I wanted to bring these women into one room and say, here's somebody who understands what you've gone through. And you might think that you're alone, but you're not. And so I decided to do a tour across Canada. I did Toronto, Thunder Bay, Calgary, and Vancouver my first year, which was crazy. I did four events in four weeks. (laughs) Won't do that again unless I have like an (laughs) Oprah-esque team behind me. But it was amazing. And what's incredible was every single event was magical. And I think I was just being watched over. Like, do this once. We've got your back. Next time, don't do this kind of thing. 
But the women connected and the transformations that happened in the room were like nothing I've ever seen before. And people came up to me. So there were women and men at these events. And they came up to me at the end of the day and said, I've never experienced anything like this. And it was because people were standing on the stage talking about mental illness and talking about suicide and talking about murder and talking about addiction and talking about death, talking about things that people don't normally talk about at live events. You might read a book or, but I mean, they're using their language. And I just said, there's no holds barred here. If you want to talk about the fact that your child died by suicide and you want to share the details of that, this is your platform to do that. And so people who came into the space felt safe and would go up to somebody at the end and say, you know, your story of addiction really resonates with me. And so there's just nothing. I mean, the truth is this, that we are wired for human physical connection. It's what we're wired for. And, you know, the the studies out there show that one of the reasons why mental illness is at an all-time high is because we're moving away from that. And so I'm trying to not resist online because I think it's super important, but I just want to make sure that we're not forgetting that we can heal quicker and surround it if we, if we get into spaces, you know, and that's a vital part of the uncommon woman and the work I'm doing there. So, you know, to answer your question, it's life altering to bring people who have this kind of similarity into a room and say, have at her, meet each other, you know, and they just don't feel isolated anymore and can save a life to be quite honest with you. When somebody feels in a dark, twisty place and they feel isolated and alone, sometimes they don't see a way out. Whereas if you walk into a room of other people who have been dark and twisty, you don't feel like such an anomaly, you know, and that's everything. It really is because that was me. I was, I had suicide ideations when I was in my dark place after I left my relationship. And what was missing was the room of other people who went through what I went through. And so that's why I created it. Wow, that's really powerful. So what is the fear? Like you're teaching people or teaching women how to tell their story, right? What do they fear? Why do you need to teach them? Like, why aren't they just doing it? Oh, we're so good at assuming that our stories don't matter. It's my story isn't as bad as her story. That's probably one of the things Mm -hmm. I hear the most. And my harsh, bold words back are, are you going to tell that to the person who has the Mm. same story as you? Yeah. And usually they say, I would never say that to somebody else. Okay. Right. Right. Are you going to tell the person who wasn't hit that her abuse story isn't as traumatic as the person who was hit? Are you going to say that to her face? Well, no, of course not. And so I often will have conversations with women and I'll say, listen, there's going to be another person out there who thinks the same thing. And she needs you to tell her that her story matters. And I know that you believe that her story matters. So what's the fear behind it? The fear is judgment. The fear is people thinking, I know, I think I know everything. The fear is that my family is going to tell me to be quiet or that somebody might be outed or, you know, I might not sound eloquent when I speak. I have so many stories, I don't know where to start. Like the list is really long of things that women say to me. And so that's what I work on them with in my foundational programs. It's really just about moving through the fear of being seen and heard. And then the other end is getting you on a stage and and helping you become a helper, right? To help other people. So there's kind of like 
the extremes. And not everybody wants to get on a stage. Some people just want to figure out what their story means to them. And that's vital to your own mental health. And what do women do once their story is told? What's the next step for them? Like once they actually get out there and they release the story, what's the next evolution for them? What do you see them do? It depends on the woman. So some of the women that I work with end up starting organizations or healing circles, or they go into coaching or they go into business or they, and other people just walk away liberated. It doesn't have to end in something else. It's just like, but that's massive. Like that's everything. Imagine, imagine being in a cage with the door open for 20, 30, 40 years Mm. and sitting on your little swing. Right. And you just feel like there's no way out, even though you see other people. And then all of a sudden one day somebody comes in and says, Hey, I'm going to show you how to like unfold your wings so you can go. And they do that. And it's just, their world goes from this to this. And I have seen the impact that just sharing a story has had on women's souls because often they carry it in a little dark place and it impacts everything, their relationships, their joy, their health. So this kind of goes back to, in a really strange way, the work I was doing in my gym. A lot of the women that I was working with there were women who were showing me, it was like I was being shown what can happen when we don't have a safe place to share our story, share what's going on in our lives or our experiences. And then my job was to create it. So I guess there's two directions. There's the direction of a joy-filled life is one. And the other is a joy-filled life that somehow is also now going to connect you to serving in your purpose, serving other people who have experienced what you experience, right? So that you can go in and serve. And of course, as women, we, that's often the direction. Yeah, right. I wanted to learn more about you as an entrepreneur. So in your existing business, let's hear a little bit about what you want to do with your business. I'd also love to hear like, as an entrepreneur, what are you struggling with besides the little social media? Like what do you protect and what do you show? So where am I going in my business? I I feel that this year I really noticed, and this is some of that progression and growth is that the women would come through my programs and I didn't have the next thing that they needed to support them. Mm -hmm. And from a business perspective, I've done what they need. I have gone through the entire thing, right? I've had the story. I've shared my story. I've helped others. And now I've built a business on it. And so what was missing was I wasn't coaching women the way that I could in, okay, now where do you go next? And there was an opportunity. But, you know, you you also have to do things as you can. And it was just too... A lot has happened in my life in the last five years. And I kind of needed... I felt like I needed to be in a position to do that with full integrity and, and really feel like it really helped somebody. And my other things were really solid and created. So that's why 2020 is the year is kind of like the executive leadership coaching. So now somebody can come through all my programs from, you know, on somebody's couch in a basement, having just left their relationship to all the way to building the business, uh, everything in between, right? So that's, I feel where, where I'm going is working with more women who have painful stories. And it could be that their painful stories are holding them back from reaching their full potential. So that's why the executive leadership coaching is really important. One of the things that happens with women who are high achieving or purpose-driven or CEOs or 
leaders in organizations is that as women, we take everything on. And from the outside, everybody thinks we're crushing it. You know, we've got the car, we've got the husband or the partner, we've got the children, we've got the house, we've got great lashes and we're getting our stuff done and we hit every yoga class and we're like taking the pictures. But then when the phone is off and the door is closed, we're alone, we're addicted, we're isolated, our mindset is crap, and we're afraid. And so many women who are really successful come up to me and tell me the behind closed doors, what I see, what I see on social media and what I see in public is not what's going on in private. Their marriages are falling apart, their children are struggling with mental illness. And there's a crack. Like these women are falling between the cracks and I want to support them. So that's what Rose Gold Leadership is, which is what I've created this year. Where I'm struggling is in the shift. So if you take a look at the demographic of women that I work with at the foundation of my work, quite often it's women who are just coming out of a really difficult situation, right? Or they've just lost both of their breasts and they're in recovery and their life has completely changed, right? So that was my original demographic for the Uncommon Woman and everything in between, right? And now I have shifted my avatar over here and now I'm trying to sift and find these women who love to hide and work with them and support them. But they're, again, you can't go on their social media to find them. You need to be in rooms and have conversations with them because their, their social media is going to be sparkly and they're going to have the patterns. And they're the reasons that I'm like, oh, when I look at social media, because it's beautiful. It all looks shiny, right? But behind closed doors, they're really, really struggling. And so I've had a shift in my ideal client and that has been, I, I don't know, it's a struggle. It's more of a challenge. It's finding her, speaking to her, working on my messaging, getting in brand new rooms and showing up as a different person myself. How do you have to be different? I think such a good, this is like such a good conversation for me right now because I'm literally in this. So I love this. I'm having to show up as the person who I have become, but who I was denying that I was. And a lot of women struggle with this, right? It's like, okay, so I've actually created something really awesome and I actually know what I'm doing and I actually belong in these rooms. But the bruised, damaged part of me that I'm still working on doesn't feel like I should be in those rooms because at one time I wasn't worthy. At one time I was going to fail and he couldn't wait to watch me fall. At one time I was just a girl who was a teacher who was just trying to like figure out what she wanted to do. And my aspirations weren't quite what they are now. And so sometimes my brain is trying to catch up with what's happening in my life. And so, yeah, I think that's, you know. So how are you finding those people that are hiding? Well, it's funny because some of them are already my clients, which happens, right? So often you attract these people and you don't even stop and think about it. So I was creating my new ideal client and one of my mentors said, so do you know anybody who has this, you know, who represents this? And I said, all of my one-on-one clients. And 
he said, so do you need to shift where you're leading them? And I said, absolutely. I need to be giving them more than I'm giving. I was holding back because I was afraid that I wasn't qualified. But on top of that, I've also, for example, spent a lot more time on LinkedIn. I'm getting myself into rooms that are business rooms as opposed to personal growth rooms. So business development versus personal development, because they often show up in those rooms, but not in the other ones. Mm-hmm. Right. So I'm trying to figure out where, the, you know, could you kind of do the, where are they hanging out? What's keeping them up at night? And they're hanging out in galas and in business events and in all of those shiny places. And what's keeping them up at night is that they don't feel like they're living in integrity. And if I can have a conversation with them and look them right in the eye and say, well, you know, one of my big struggles was that from the outside, everything looked great. And from the inside, I was dying. And then they'll say to me, oh, and they get these really watery eyes, right? And I just have one of my, one of the things that I've been able to do because I've worked with so many women is kind of let them feel safe sharing. So I'm doing a lot of that. And that's really made a difference. Very uncomfortable though. Don't get me yes, wrong. I'm like, it's, it's the I gotta go get a whole new wardrobe here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. So Marlo, we always ask our guests for sharing a joy and a hustle. So joy is just something, it can be very simple, something that brings you joy in your life. And the hustle is a tool or resource to help our listeners hustle in their business. So something that has brought me so much joy is my dogs. <laughs> and I actually, in my spare time when I travel, I adopt dogs off the street and I bring them back to Canada and I adopt them out. I find a lot of personal joy in contributing in that way. And so my dogs are mutts and, and I like to bring that muttly life to other people. So that's something that really lights me up. So I, you know, my dogs are a big part of my daily joy and they ground me for sure. And a tool, it's funny when you asked me about that, I thought the first thing I thought was I have something called a dump list that a bunch of mentors of mine have shared with me. And I was like, okay, if all these people are telling me this, this must be right. And what it is, is it's a, it's literally like a book. I have mine right here that every time I have a really good idea, I put it in here and I take it out of my brain and I put it on paper because of course, as entrepreneurs and creators, often we have like so many great ideas and we hold them and then we try to remember what they are or, and so I dump everything into what I call a dump list and I go back to it all the time. And some of my best ideas have come up you know, in the bathtub or when I was walking, cutting my dog's nails, <laughs> I'll be like, stop, you know, and I'll get my dump list and I'll write it down. And that way those ideas are captured. You know, I think it's Elizabeth Gilbert. I don't know if you read Big Magic, but it's one of the most inspirational business tools I've ever had actually. And she talks about grabbing the dragon by the tail. If you don't take an idea as it comes to you and just give it an opportunity to breathe life, then you may never know if it was yours. And so from that book, I came up with the idea that I need to always write my ideas down and give them oxygen. So I love that. And I think it's so powerful to think about that you can write an idea and you can make it a real thing. Like that's magic to me. Like I've got this idea and then like a month later it can be in existence, right? So that's what the Uncommon Woman was. That's what Rose Gold, Rose Gold Leadership came to me like in a full bubble bath, like about right. three months ago. So, you know, it's when yeah. we're at rest, I find that some of the best ideas come, you know, so we got to make sure to write it down. 
Thank you, Marlo. It has been such a pleasure talking to you and getting to know you. And I just love that you're in Calgary. We will connect outside of this interview, I think. So much for having me here. I'm so honored to be here. Beautiful conversation. Thank you, Marlo. All right, folks, we'll see you next week. Ready to go from, I really want to build an online business, but don't know where to start, to, wow, I've just sold my first digital product. That's exactly what we're going to help you do during our free Become an Online Teacher course. We've created a simple five-day email-based course to teach you everything you need to get started as an online teacher. By the end of the week, you'll have a digital product that's mapped out, priced, and ready to offer your community. Head over to soulful.mba teacher to sign up. It's totally free.